Hello once again and welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. So why did I decide to do this podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right, I know you didn't really ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. There are actually a few reasons. I spent a decade on the air as a radio personality before making the transition to full-time voiceover work. Now, while I'm grateful for the time that I got to spend in broadcasting, radio doesn't always allow the same freedom that podcasting does. There are time and subject matter constraints in radio. You can't say certain words. I couldn't just randomly have friends or family on my radio show just because I wanted to, which I hope to do at some point on this podcast. More importantly, though, I love movies. I love talking about movies. I can spend hours with friends talking about our favorite movies. And I always find it interesting to learn about some of the things that go on behind the scenes. When I do the research for this podcast, most of the time I find myself even more fascinated with whatever movie I'm getting ready to talk about. Hopefully, we both learn some cool stuff from these podcasts. But also, I hope you get fired up to revisit some of these great films along the way. I know I always find myself saying, what a great movie this is when I'm reading about all these facts. Great movies are like great songs. They remind you of a time of your life and possibly of a special person. I'm dedicating this podcast to a friend who passed away last year, George Demopoulos. He was a huge fan of this movie, and I'm sure he would have enjoyed this podcast. So with that, I give you Screen Facts with Jason Davis, powered by 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. That's right. It's time for Back to the Future. A film released July 3rd, 1985 in the U.S., and for a movie coming up on its 30th anniversary, not only does it still hold up, but I could probably notice new things when I watched this movie. The movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. The inspiration for the film largely stems from Bob Gale discovering his father's high school yearbook and wondering whether he would have been friends with his father as a teenager. The movie, of course, stars Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, and Thomas F. Wilson, probably better known as Tom Wilson these days. Won an Oscar for Best Effects Sound Effects Editing. It was also nominated for Best Writing, Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen, Best Sound, and Best Music Original Song for Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. One of the more famous taglines from the movie, He was never in time for his classes. He wasn't in time for his dinner. Then one day, he wasn't in his time at all. <laughs> I don't know, I just love doing that movie guy voice. An estimated budget of $19 million, it grossed just under $198 million in U.S. theaters, becoming the highest grossing film of 1985, and then made another $106 million in rentals. The interesting thing about this movie is that as great as it is and as big of a hit as it became, the script was actually rejected 40 times by every major studio before finally getting greenlit by Universal. Disney, in fact, turned it down because they thought that the story of a mother falling in love with her son, even if it was because of time travel, was too risque for a film under their banner. It spent four years in pre-production from September 1980 to October 1984. They then shot for a month from November to December 1984 with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. However, Michael J. Fox had always been the first choice for Marty, but he was unavailable due to scheduling conflicts with his work on Family Ties. Fox's Family Ties co-star, Meredith Baxter, was pregnant at the time, so he was kind of carrying a lot more of the show than usual. The show's producer, Gary David Goldberg, couldn't afford to let Fox go, so Eric Stoltz was cast as Marty based on his performance opposite Cher in the film Mask. 
Eric Stoltz is a really good actor, but after the four weeks of filming, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale felt that he just wasn't right for the part. By this time, Meredith Baxter was back full-time on Family Ties, so Goldberg was able to let Michael J. Fox make the film. Fox worked his butt off during the filming of Back to the Future. Every day during production, he drove straight to the movie set after taping the show. He averaged about five hours of sleep. The bulk of the movie was filmed at night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. The daylight scenes filmed on weekends, so I guess that's how he was able to juggle both projects. Reshooting the scenes that they had done with Eric Stoltz added $3 million to the budget. The film was shot between January and April of 1985 for a total of 100 days. In addition to Eric Stoltz, there were some other people that were considered for the role of Marty. Johnny Depp also auditioned for the role. C. Thomas Howell and John Cusack were considered. Singer Corey Hart, you know, I wear my sunglasses at night. He was asked to do a screen test for the role. Can't imagine what that would have been like. John Lithgow, Dudley Moore, James Woods, and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Doc Brown. Tim Robbins was considered for the role of Biff Tannen, and if I had a guess, I'm thinking that they didn't cast him probably because he's kind of tall and lanky and maybe they wanted somebody that was a little bit more menacing for that role. Claudia Wells, who plays Marty's girlfriend Jennifer Parker, gave up her role to Elizabeth Shue for the two sequels because her mother was diagnosed with cancer and she wanted to spend more time with her. Ralph Macchio had turned down the role of Marty, and it would have been interesting had he taken the role because Elizabeth Shue, who ended up in the sequels, had played his girlfriend in The Karate Kid. So when Marty pretends to be Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan in the film, when he goes back to 1955, he plays a tape labeled Van Halen to scare George out of his sleep. Now this is actually an untitled Edward Van Halen original that was written for a movie called The Wildlife, which came out in 1984. That movie starred Leah Thompson and Eric Stoltz. In fact, Leah Thompson was cast in Back to the Future because she had worked with Stoltz in that movie. In an earlier version of the script, the time machine was a laser device in a room. The climax had it attached to a refrigerator on a truck, which was driven to a nuclear test site with Marty inside. The ending was changed to the lightning strike because they were afraid kids would lock themselves in refrigerators. The DeLorean used in the trilogy was a 1981 DMC-12 model. The base for the nuclear reactor was made from the hubcap from a Dodge Polaris. When Marty's band, the Pinheads, are being judged at the band auditions for the Battle of the Bands at the beginning of the film, the judge who stands up with the megaphone and says, You're just too darn loud, is played by Huey Lewis. Musician Mark Campbell did all of Michael J. Fox's singing. He's credited as Marty McFly. So talk about interesting casting in this movie. Michael J. Fox is only 10 days younger than Leah Thompson, who plays his mother in the film, and is almost three years older than his on-screen dad, Crispin Glover. Wendy Jo Sperber, who played Marty's sister, Linda McFly, was in fact three years older than Leah Thompson and six years older than Crispin Glover. There's a nod to the great director Stanley Kubrick in the beginning of the film. When Marty goes over to Doc's house and he hooks up his guitar to that giant amplifier, the first dial he turns up is labeled CRM-114. This is a reference to Dr. Strangelove, in which the B-52 crews receive their orders over a CRM-114. It was also the serial number of the Jupiter Explorer in 2001 A Space Odyssey, also directed by Kubrick. The Twin Pines Mall is actually the Puente Hills Mall in City of Industry, California. And Whittier High School in Whittier, California is Hill Valley High in the movie. In real life, it's the alma mater of President Richard Nixon and John Lasseter, 
founder of Pixar Animation Studios. The farm where Marty arrives in 1955 belongs to a man called Peabody, and he calls his son Sherman. Both names are a tribute to Sherman and Mr. Peabody, two cartoon time travelers. In fact, when Marty first goes back in time, the mall is called Twin Pines Mall, and in 1955, he runs over one of Old Man Peabody's pine trees. When he gets back to 1985, the mall is then called Lone Pine Mall. The electric guitar Marty plays at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance is a Gibson ES-345. Now, the dance is supposed to be taking place in 1955, but that model Gibson was not made until 1958. If they wanted to be more accurate with the guitar model, they could have had Marty use a Fender Telecaster, which debuted in 1950, or a Stratocaster, which debuted in 1954. So have you ever noticed how Doc always looks hunched over when he's with Marty? That was done purposely to compensate for the difference in height between Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. Fox is 5'4 and a half, Christopher Lloyd 6'1. In fact, Robert Zemeckis used specific blocking, where the two often stood far apart at different camera depths. And for close-ups, Christopher Lloyd would have to hunch over so he would be in the frame with Michael J. Fox. A Texaco gas station is shown in both 1955 and 1985 in the movie. Christopher Lloyd's maternal grandfather was one of the founders of Texaco Oil Company. Even though Michael J. Fox rode a skateboard throughout high school and he was pretty good on it, Per Walinder acted as a skateboarding double for most of the scenes, especially the more complex ones. Sid Sheinberg, then head of Universal Pictures, changed some early versions of the script. First, Doc had a pet chimp named Shemp that Sid ended up changing to the dog named Einstein. Also, Marty's mom's name was originally Meg, then it was changed to Eileen. Sid insisted that she be named Lorraine after his wife, Jaws actress Lorraine Gary. The Screen Actors Guild can't have two people with the same name on their books. There was already a Michael Fox listed with SAG, hence the J in Michael J. Fox. When Marty goes back to 1955 and meets his dad, George, he finds out that he is a huge fan of the show Science Fiction Theater. The other actor named Michael Fox starred in the actual Science Fiction Theater show in 1955. When Marty first gets back to 1955, in the first scene at the diner, Marty asks for a Pepsi Free, the first caffeine-free cola offered by Pepsi. Ironically, in the same scene, he asks for a Tab, which was a diet cola produced by Pepsi's rival, Coca-Cola. The back lot used as the town of Hill Valley is also seen in the very first episode of Twilight Zone, Where Is Everybody?, and was the set for Kingston Falls, the town that was featured in the film Gremlins. One of my favorite characters in Back to the Future is Biff, and Tom Wilson improvised all of those great catchphrases, butthead, make like a tree and get out of here, that's funnier than a screen door on a battleship. In addition to being a great character actor and cartoon voiceover artist, he's done work on SpongeBob SquarePants, among other things. Tom is also a very talented stand-up comic. He has a very funny DVD called Tom Wilson Bigger Than You, which I saw and I highly recommend. And also, next time you're on YouTube, look up Biff's Question Song. I think you'll enjoy it. Hey, as much fun as this podcast is for me, I also really want it to be about you. Do you have any thoughts or screen facts of your own about Back to the Future? Do you want to tell me how much you love this podcast or how much you think I suck? Either way, I'd be grateful to hear from you please email me at screenfacts at yahoo.com. Please make sure to include your name and where you're from as I hope to include feedback in future episodes. Also, please check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com, 
And thanks for downloading and listening. I really appreciate it. Join me again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Bye-bye.